The following podcast is a Clutch Media production. Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. Hey everyone, welcome to They Get It. You've got Kelsey and Emma, and we are really excited for this episode. We've got Julia, the founder of Two Peonies on, and she is just a breath of fresh air. She was so much fun to speak with, and we think you guys are really going to like this episode. Yeah, Julia is amazing. And Two Peonies, um, just to give you a little bit of background of what the business is, it's a creative floral design and self-care company with a minimal approach, especially focused on the positive effects that flora can have on our personal well-being. So Julia's brand really stuck out to us because she's doing something different in the space and she's making florals more attainable. And she's doing it with a really cool mix of content and community building. Um, And we think she gets it. And so we needed to hear from her. (laughs) Yeah. And like what you'll hear in the episode is something a little different than a lot of these founder stories where Julia had a really great career. She left to bootstrap two peonies. And one of my favorite kind of talking points or quotes from her in this episode is she talks about the beauty of living within constraints. And one thing that's going to be super obvious to everyone is how she's just killer at partnerships and she picks the right people in terms of influencers and other brands to collaborate with. And I just think that's the perfect example of making it happen without a ton of funding in the bank. Totally. And, you know, she balances that lack of funding with just being really authentic and building a brand that she knows will resonate with her audience and building a killer product Um, and, you know, making sure she's doing things that don't scale as she builds her business. She's taking the time to figure out the right way to outreach to different people in a way that will get them to, you know, partner with her. And yeah, she's really smart. And she's also, you can tell, just a really genuine person. And I think that is such a big part of running a successful business. Totally. Totally. Well, we can't wait any longer for you guys to hear it. Let's jump right in. Let's do it. First things first, let's talk about your backstory. Who are you? How did you found Two Peonies? Give us kind of the the background context. Of course. Uh, Thank you for having me, first of all. This is very exciting. My first podcast. So I'm looking forward to answering these questions you guys have. Uh, How I started Two Peonies, how I came up with it. It's It's not a super glamorous, uh, interesting story like some founders may have. It really just did come naturally to me. I had left a uh, full-time job at a magazine. I was a fashion editor, and so I was always interested in editorial and design, and a big focus of my old job was creative direction. And I knew when I left, I was ready to kind of start my own company. It's something I've always wanted to do. And so I just was allowed to take the time for myself and really feel it out. I was part-time at a restaurant as well, so that was, you know, the finances that I need to be able to not hop back into a full time. Uh, And I just realized during that time, I was like always buying flowers for myself. And I really realized the effect that they had on me, Um, just a completely passive experience. And I'm talking like one or two stems, like not even arrangements. And I just thought it was so interesting. Um, And so I was like, how can you get this message across to other people? Um, And how can you kind of have people have florals in their homes like consistently and ongoing? They are an expensive uh, thing. So that's kind of how the delivery circuit came in and that's how the whole business idea came along. It did start with the idea that I do want a type of subscription model. 
Um, and then I kind of built off that with my different passions in terms of creative direction and editorial and all that. I love it. Paint the picture a little bit. How many years ago did this start? How has the business evolved? Yeah, so we're a bit over two years right now. Um, and it really just started with me and the two peonies journal. So two things that I wanted to come out of the gate with, with the company was the delivery circuit and this journal, which where we would talk about different elements of self-care. So not just floral design, but, um, you know, sustainable fashion and other elements of self-care and personal wellness, just to kind of add to the brand and give more things for people to sink their teeth into. And so it took me the better part of that first year to develop the journal. Um, I was doing it completely by myself. I think that I was kind of, I didn't realize how much work it would be coming from a magazine and having a whole team put together um, a piece of publication, like doing it on my own. I didn't realize it would take the better part of a year. So that was awesome because I developed a lot of partnerships and, you know, I networked with people all around the world to get them to contribute to that. We had a, um, a fashion designer from France. We had uh, our cover girl is from LA. She's an awesome model and influencer. And so it was a great, it was a great starting point to just really network and connect with people that would identify with my brand. Um, and that took up all my time. So I wasn't really able to launch the circuit as quickly as I thought I would. Um, but nonetheless, that really worked out because the circuit did get launched at the perfect time, which is when COVID happened and everyone was inside more and people were looking for things to elevate their surroundings. And so I would say about a year after launching is when I did launch the circuit too. And that kind of tied my whole brand together and people really kind of had something to purchase. The journal was a nice thing to look at, but this was a real service where people could start to purchase. And that kind of catapulted other services that I could provide. So whether it's styling or developing a base collection as well, which is something that we did a couple months ago. Um, but it really started with the creative journal, which I want to make another one very soon. It's just, it's a costly thing as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, just getting different partnerships. It is a big undertaking. So I would love to keep that up. It's not something that I have yet. Um, but that's definitely started the brand. I think it painted the picture too. Um, and then we finally launched our circuit, which was the preliminary idea, but nonetheless, I think we launched at the perfect time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. COVID kind of, I mean, not that we wanted COVID to hit, but <laughs> I no. feel like yeah. the timing did work out pretty well for you. And I think it's just a testament. It's like when you go on an entrepreneurial journey, it's not going to go how you originally think it's going to go, right? Like exactly. you said, you wanted to launch two things at once and yeah. and you learned a lot along the way, but <laughs> it just sounds like, you know, being persistent and, and staying in tune with your vision is really what got you to where you are today. Yeah, I would think I would think persistence is definitely key. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this is your first foray into entrepreneurship, right? Like you said before, you were working um, in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it it's my first venture that I've ran for this long. Um, but funny enough, I've had a couple other stints that you know I could have gone on with um, that were kind of telling signs that I would eventually just have my own company one day and university or this was high school I think this is grade 12 my best friend and I my mom crochets clothing uh, and my best friend and I wanted to create a brand out of it so you know we actually created the whole Instagram page and we did a photo shoot and we wanted to sell them we didn't end up doing it uh, full on but that was definitely something where you know I thought that I'd be doing long term um, so I think that might've been my first little stint into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it was a gradual, it was a gradual transition into, uh, the magazine after university, but you know, I always felt that entrepreneur kind of bone in me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I love it. 
And so as you reflect on, you know, your entrepreneurial journey so far, what do you think it is that you get most about entrepreneurship? And what do you think your superpower is um, in relation to entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think, you know, starting a company, there's so many factors that you can focus on to help get you in the right direction. But partnerships is a huge one. And that's something that I've naturally just done. Um, I feel like working with the right brand and the right influencers that are 100% aligned with your company, um, you know, their audience, they're already approaching your company with trust because they're approaching it through someone that they love. So it's really interesting and it's really powerful to make sure that you're constantly connecting and networking and partnering with the right brands. Um, and then I think me personally, um, just because I do have a love for like campaigns and putting together big projects and just executing those things and really analyzing and I'm very performance driven. I like to kind of look at what I've done in the past and just make it bigger and better. Um, and I think just my love for constantly putting out, you know, content and campaigns and my love for analytics and performance and things like that is kind of very in line with like things an entrepreneur should like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think just because I naturally do like executing campaigns and things like that, um, you know, it kind of comes a bit more easier to me. And then just, I guess, also knowing that with anything, consistency will get you further and will get you to where you want to go. So it's hard to keep the momentum when you have, you know, not a lot of followers, not a lot of eyeballs on you. Um, but if you just know, like for a fact that the longer you do this, the bigger it will get, there's not much that can waver you. And I think that I kind of just understood that concept. Um, and so, yeah, I think just really understanding what consistency is and how it's like foolproof, like you really, you know, it can't fail. If you do something a bunch of times, you're just going to get better at it. So yeah, I think grasping those concepts. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. And like one thing I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit for is like <laughs> when we were talking before, you are so steadfast and you do not question your own judgment. I feel like that's why your brand in Two Peonies is so unique, right? And I feel oh, like your really creative nice. <laughs> direction comes through so strong. And I think, you know, you probably don't even realize it because it's just how you live your life. But as mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, especially as a female entrepreneur, self-doubt and second guessing yourself kills so many ventures before they even get started. And you're just blessed to not even have that be a, a really big factor. Yeah, yeah, I get I get what you're saying. Um, it's not a it's not a huge factor. But you know, we all definitely deal with that every day. Um, I doubt the decisions that I make. Um, and even when I'm putting them forward, you know, there's never that feeling of like that gut feeling of when you put out, you know, a new product, or you know, when you spend money on a certain initiative. It's, like I will never be completely sure of my ideas before mm -hmm. I put them out there and I see how they perform. Um, but I think, I think the whole superpower element of overcoming that is knowing that that's just how you learn and that's just how you get better. So if you don't mm -hmm. put out that idea right now, then you're going to end up putting it out in a year and then you might fail in a year when you could have failed a year before, <laughs> you know, and learned it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's better to just, even if you're not a hundred percent sure, I guess, you know, that's kind of what, as confidence is when you really break it down is just like it's not that you're confident in the idea 100 percent. it's just that you know that regardless of the outcome you're going to learn from it so that's moving wow. forward yeah right you know your approach to partnerships and influencers um you're finding people that resonate with the brand but who also have the right aesthetic and you know who are probably going to post organically like you mentioned mm -hmm. you don't even ask your influencers to post can you tell us more about that yeah um i think that's just uh I don't know. <laughs> I think it's part of my personality too. Um, I 
interestingly enough, I would consider myself to be a bit more shy and introverted. Um, and so one challenge that I do actually face as an entrepreneur is just directly asking for what I need from someone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just being confident in that way is something I'm working on. And so funny enough, I think that uh, setback for me was a positive in influencer marketing um, because I, a lot of times I wouldn't ask them to post directly, but I realized that that kind of really gave them the autonomy to decide for themselves if they want to post about this brand. Um, and then I prefer that as well too, because I think that you're going to get a certain posting from someone if you just ask them to do it. Um, but if you've really given them the product, you know, if it's, unless, you know, of course, influencer marketing, when you're scaling things, you have paid activations and timelines, and, you know, you can't just give someone a product and wait for them to post about it. Um, but when you're starting a company and when you're putting your product out there, I think it's definitely an interesting strategy to trust your product, give it to who you want to give it to, and kind of leave it there. Um, and if they reach back out to you and they're interested in your product and they post it, that is, you know, such good field research on your end, number one. Um, and you're really like creating a brand evangelist out of that person rather than, you know, just kind of a transaction. Um, you're allowing them to connect with your product. So I don't know. I think it's been a benefit. It's definitely a risk, right? Because there's been times when my stuff does not get posted. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't say that's never happened for sure. But um, we have analyzed that it does indeed work. So yeah, it's an interesting little uh, strategy that I think just came about naturally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but Kelsey, you do like, I guess in, in uh, hashtag paid, is that something that is strategy that you see there too? Or, you know, is, is it typical that you are asking them to post and that's always part of the, the contract? I didn't realize this until I started working in influencer marketing, yeah. but there's so many different strategies to it. And so what you're talking about is a strategy that we call gifting. So basically it's amazing for people that want to really scale, like push out a bunch of product. It's pretty cheap because I mean, aside from your cost of goods, it's mm -hmm. not costing you anything, exactly. but I think you hit the nail on the head. When it comes to creative direction, you have zero say mm -hmm. in a gifting program, whereas hashtag paid is much more on the, you know, paid partnership side of, of things. Course. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, really dependent on what the, the brand is looking for. Do yeah. you want it to feel super organic and kind of grassroots? Or are you looking for content for your website, for example, that you need to have a bit more creative direction on? Yeah, you're so right. It's it's independent. It's the project that you're working on, the timing of your company, yeah, yeah. where you are in your in your development for sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about your story is the evolution of the different components of your business, mm -hmm. right? So you started with one thing, then you added the delivery circuit, and we know you have big plans for product development. Mm -hmm. How do you go through the process of launching a new product offering? I think you have to really look at the timing. So, you know, kind of what we touched on before, where I wanted to start out of the gate with the delivery circuit. Um, and although um, I just didn't have enough time to do it, um, looking back, you know, I can definitely say that when putting out products, timing is huge. There's something that I could really love, but I just know that, you know, my audience, that's not where their focus is right now. Um, so it's something that, you know, sandbag for sure. Um, and then I think it's interesting when you start a company uh, without, you know, major funding behind you, that will definitely mm -hmm. narrow down what you put out first. Right. Um, and so I think it's important for me and two peenies, the things we're going to put out, they have to be scalable. Um, you know, uh, they have to be scalable in a way where we can put it out with, you know, minimal funds and be able to build on top of it. And that's why services are so great to put out. We, of course, want an amazing product line. Um, but with a product line comes a big investment right out of the gate. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I think, you know, just really zooming, really zooming in on uh, services 
is definitely mm-hmm. a great start to a company um, just because you can start it with little to no money um, and you can build long-term relationships with your customers. And then when you're ready to uh, launch a product line, you know, you have, you know, your customers that's been with you for so long. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think something that's easy to scale, something that is service-based uh, are all great things to start at the beginning of your company. Yeah. Oh, I love the, how you touched on building an audience and mm. then building products, because I think that's what we see a lot now in, especially the influencer space when people are launching brands. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you have an audience who resonates with your content, um, then when you launch a product, they're going to be more loyal to you than a net new customer would be. Right. So yeah, I think that's super smart. Um, and yeah, you have such a unique approach to, the way you do your social and web and offline. Mm-hmm. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Um, and so could you tell us a little bit more about your customer acquisition strategy and how most people find out about you? Yeah, um, I think, you know, when you were speaking on uh, creative direction, that is just a really big part of it, to be honest. It is our editorial component. Um, and even to backtrack on the question you asked before, editorial is a, is a big way that we... Um, gain our customers. That's, you know, again, how we launched our company. It was with the with the journal, which was full of editorial. Right. Um, it was the website, it was the stories, you know, it was the easiest thing for me to start a company and just write a story and put it up on the website that took no money and it took minimal time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that's something that we'll always continue to do is just storytell really um, with in different genres that are relatable to our company. So yes, editorial and storytelling is honestly a huge way that we attract our customers, just adding that element um, onto the brand. Um, And then that pairs in with my whole fascination and just thing with earned media. I really think that um, if you are just focused on making sure your product is, you know, 105 out of 100, it'll save you a lot of other costly ways to gain customers um, Mm -hmm. that you will need uh, um, regardless. But if your main focus is really, and I think everyone, it is an obvious answer. Um, but I think people do get bogged down with the marketing and they kind of forget about, you know, even though you have a great product, like how can you make it remarkable? Um, that will really sell it for you. It's a great way to gain customers, um, Mm -hmm. tale old time, word of mouth. And the greatest way to generate word of mouth is to just create something that's awesome that people want to talk about. Um, so yeah, I would say editorial, um, really making sure your product is qualified to attract genuine earned media constantly. Um, and then ongoing brand partnerships, for sure. I would say just making sure that, um, you know, it's an industry where there's so many, a lot of people are, you know, starting their own businesses. Um, and it's it's only a benefit to you to partner with other entrepreneurs that are in the same space as you. You know, I know we work a lot with um, Suresha Beauty and different companies that, are in the same realm and we have the same customer base and, you know, um, you can't always look at things as, you know, competitive. You really have to look at, you know, everyone kind of developing and growing together um, and how there's different elements that we can all contribute to one another. And so that's a great way to just grow your customer base as well as just to partner with the right people because mm-hmm. the audience is coming to you, you know, from someone that they already trust. So it's not like they're seeing your ad on Facebook, you know, or seeing it somewhere where, you know, it's not coming from a trusted source. If they're seeing your brand being spoken about by someone that they love, um, chances are they'll check you out. So it's definitely good yes. to make sure you're always on those radars. And then that just ties in with influencer marketing. It's the same kind of strategy. You know, if um, you've really partnered with the correct influencer, then their audience is probably um, really aligned with your audience as well. Hmm. Yeah. And it is just so much about relationships, I think. like Exactly. Like you were saying, you find 
other entrepreneurs who have a similar demographic, but a different product type, and you reach out to them and you build these relationships with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's such an authentic way to grow. And I think that authenticity also leads to more longer term growth, right? Because it's, it's just more genuine. Exactly. Now, we like to get super specific because the people listening are like, they want to hear tactical advice. When you're striking up these brand partnerships, what does that look like? Are you cold outreaching? Are you going yeah. through friends? Like, yeah. like, really get specific with us. Yeah, it's, um, it's all different. You have to feel it out. These are things where um, I'll definitely get into the few things that I do. But just generally, um, you know, no outreach necessarily, at least here, because I know that this probably doesn't apply to other brands, but it really doesn't look the same um, when we're reaching out to people, even if, if it's for the same activation. There's people who I will shoot an Instagram DM to. There's people who I have to send um, a longer email with our you know, marketing proposal attached to it as well. Wow. Um, so it is truly you know, to use your intelligence, what you've learned this far to, uh, to approach these properly because it's such a big deal. Um, and it's this moment that can really um, it's this approach that can make them want to work with you or not. So it's worth taking the time to think. It's worth not having a cookie cutter strategy for outreach. Um, unless, of course, it's certain things. You know, if you're promoting a, an event, then you're going to have, you know, the press release for that event and you're going to be pitching it to media outlets. But in terms of brands and um, influencers, uh, you have to look at them all unique, like one by one. Um, a lot of times I will do an Instagram outreach. And it's funny because someone asked me this question recently because um, I'm working with someone pretty cool and I'm like how did you how did you get them and I showed them the communication and it was literally just an Instagram DM it was hey do you want to try a delivery circuit send them the link they're like yes please cool thanks wow. like, it was super simple because I just knew that it's something that they would like um, yeah and people are very busy these days too I think you have to take that into account and so um, you have to think if you're going to send a long email with an attachment um, are you sending it to someone that's at their desk where you know they're reading it because it's really their job to get through those things? Yeah. Or are you sending it to, you know, an influencer who no day looks the same um, and they kind of just, you know, it's way better to pop up on their phone in their notifications on Instagram than to, you know, get thrown into their emails that they don't have to be on every day. So it's very situation to situation, but those are a couple of things that I do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. That's like, I think it's so helpful. And I think it's the same thing. Like we, Emma and I both come from sales backgrounds mm -hmm. and the same strategy applies, right? If you're mm -hmm. blasting out the same email to mm -hmm. 3000 contacts, you're not going to get any replies and you're probably going to get a bunch of unsubscribes. Whereas when you're taking the time to learn about people and you're seeing a fit and you're bringing them a problem that resonates, you're going to get that response way more than than just kind of a cookie cutter approach totally i feel like this yeah i feel like um it kind of breaks my heart a bit when i do see you know different companies and approaching things very generically um yeah because i think it's such a missed opportunity i think i think it's really all the rage and i think it always will be is to just be so authentic um in your approach always um just make those personal connections with people uh even if you can't see yeah. the, the benefits of it in that moment you will see them later it's really worth it to think about how to connect with people Mm -hmm. It's time consuming too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like being in the weeds with mm -hmm. crafted messaging and like, I can't even imagine you've got product development on the go. You've mm -hmm. got outreach on the go. You've got mm -hmm. marketing. You've got this um, publication. Like how do you prioritize where to spend your time? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, that's a great question and something that, you know, I feel like I'll never nail down perfectly, but I feel like 
it's such an important thing to constantly be working at because you know the better you get at time management the better things will be even though you won't get it perfectly um especially this year i think a lot of people can say that a lot of personal things have popped up um more so than right. other mm -hmm. years um so it's been an especially uh, interesting time for time management but i think i would go back to um what i was saying in terms of what to launch um, I really do put my focus on things that I know can grow in my company with the stage we're at. You know, we were in a company that got funded out of the gate. You know, we still have never gotten funding. And so my time has to go to things that are going to allow us to grow the brand in that way. Um, and then also things that the customer, you know, is very involved in. The customer, of course, always comes first. And so um, mm -hmm. the delivery circuit is huge, right? Um, that's a yeah. place where I can really... Uh, create brand evangelists, create people that, you know, are going to speak about my brand to everyone. And, you know, they're constantly, you know, keeping them interested in the circuit, you know, adding little fun things to the packages. It's really important to keep my focus there because um, just the model of that whole part of the company, um, there's a lot of fun stuff involved. And, you know, we have a lot of exciting ideas on how we're going to grow it. So I would say that's the core of the brand. You know, the circuit is huge. Um, and then the circuit and then yeah things that I can scale properly for sure with the stage that we're at mm -hmm. yeah. well in the circuit business model makes a lot of sense because you get these recurring customers right and it's something unique it's something that's different in the floral space and I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to chat with you because we came across your brand and we're like okay this is different it's you've identified an opportunity in the market this white space where mm -hmm. there's People want florals, especially right now when there's so mm -hmm. much going on in the world and it is a really nice way to practice self-care. But yeah, A, are they going to go out and buy them all the time, especially now when you can't really go out? And mm -hmm. is it something that they can afford? You know, most bouquets are so expensive. So I think it makes sense that you focus on that because, I mean, your brand is super unique and I think that is one of your key differentiators too. Yeah, no, I agree. The first book, I think the book that kind of catapulted me into a subscription service, uh, it's called The Automatic Customer by John Wirillo. Mm, yeah. I would uh, recommend it for sure. Um, it's pretty much creating a subscription business in any industry um, because you can create a subscription service in any industry. Um, so it's worth a read for anyone that's interested in that type of development um, because it's a great way to start a company. Even if you don't end you know, like that, it's a great way to build that customer base, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. Okay. Now, Julia, I have to ask, um, I'm looking at you on LinkedIn and I see that you are creative <laughs> director. Why not founder or CEO? Yeah. Good question. Um, because I think I want, there's not a lot of people that work, that work with me. So I want people to know, you know, I have a peer manager, I have someone who's operations. And so it's like, you know, where would I go if I want to talk about a creative shoot? Um, and I think people sometimes feel intimidated to reach out to a founder or they think that that's not the oh, point of contact. Yeah. Um, so just the fact that I'm creative director, I think people will reach out to me easier. Um, and also just staying on your toes, you know, LinkedIn, um, as a founder who, again, uh, you know, before this, I freelance, I've done different creative projects as well. I think it's good for people in that realm, people that will be on LinkedIn to know that um, I am a creative director. Um, mm -hmm. I'm always willing to take on side projects and things like that, keeping it interesting. So. I think on LinkedIn, wow. it's, it's the most appropriate kind of title to, I guess, for people to know what I'm looking for. And I think that's something that, you know, people looking to be entrepreneurs need to know too. Um, it's a very big decision to do it, but you have to know that like your life is really yours. If you need to go get a job a year and a half yeah. in, 
just do it. It's okay. Like have confidence and you know, the fact that you can keep both up, like things get crazy, things get super yeah. crazy. And so it's important to just give yourself full autonomy to make those big decisions. Um, and so, yeah, keeping my LinkedIn profile, a space where, you know, other hiring managers can come in and use me for different freelance reasons is important to me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what I, what I love about this is like a principle that we used to use in e-commerce all the time is like you're buying e-commerce software, but you're not a technology expert. You're a t-shirt expert or a jewelry <laughs> expert or whatever it is. And what I love about this is like you're just saying, staying so true to yourself, right? You're a creative director. You're a creative person. Oh, and you happen to run a business, right? And so I just feel like that represents you so well. Yeah, no, it's funny you said that. I think you kind of helped me answer my question too with things I didn't even realize because I'm, uh, I'm working on the script for my workshop that we're shooting in soon. And, you know, I have to start the intro saying, you know, I'm Julia, creative director and founder. And like even practicing it in my room by myself, I don't even <laughs> want to say that I'm founder. Oh I'm like, I don't know if that's a problem or <laughs> what it is, but I think it's just because I am such a creative native, you know what I mean? Like that really totally. is who I am. Um, yep. and so yes, I run a business and all that's fine and dandy um, and great. But yeah, I do want people to know that it's definitely run by someone who values creative in a big way. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. And then one thing that I'm always really curious about is like, who inspires you? So we look at you and we're like, wow, she is doing so many things right. But then obviously, like in your shoes, you've got people that you look up to. That book was a great example. Where mm -hmm. else do you learn from? Yeah. Um, I was having this conversation today. Someone asked me that specific question. Um, and what I did say was, you know, growing up, um, I think I did get a little bit lucky because this doesn't happen for a lot of people like in grade 12 I kind of knew the course I, or the course I wanted to take in university you know um, I just knew that I wanted to do communications and I knew I either wanted to have my own business or work in fashion um, and so at that stage I was constantly watching other women entrepreneurs in the space um, and two that I was attracted to is Yale Aflalo who um, is the founder of Reformation the clothing brand the sustainable clothing brand oh yeah huge um she is just like I think she's probably like my number one in terms of like role model and someone to look up to um I really like and I probably put Emily Weiss in that category the founder of Glossier yep. uh, totally. she has that yeah. same content exactly they're just yeah. so they're so authentic you know like you can tell they're working in the space that they should be working in like they go and they do these huge talks and they are so calm and at peace and i don't think it's because they're not nervous but just because they really know what they're talking about they're in an industry that's wow. their passion um and yeah. it just comes through in everything they do i also love how those two women constantly do um talks on like tech tech startups and you know tech conventions right. Uh, which I think is so cool is because their company, although it's a beauty company and a fashion company, um, they're e-commerce companies in a big way. And those girls are really focused on that. And the fact that they can, you know, enter those huge conversations with um, people in the tech space is super admirable to me. Um, and then I guess more specific in terms of florals, um, Ruby Lennox, uh, that's her stage name, I guess you can say Mary Lennox. Um, when I first started flowers, I think the one reason that I did want to get into it too is because, you know, it's done very traditionally if you kind of look at the general industry. Um, and she's one of the florists that I really like her whole growth, the way that she went from, you know, arrangements to doing full on installations that use, you know, fruit now. And I think she, her clientele is like mostly like fashion brands. Like she really does like the Cartier editorials and things mm -hmm. like that. And she's just kind of their go to girl um it's just because of her aura and her presence again she's so authentic with her direction um you can tell that she's not looking at what other floors are doing like her stuff it just really doesn't look like anyone else's stuff um so i think just the way in the flower industry it's very easy to look everywhere else 
Um, but I really admire how she's really stuck to her vision. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just the way that she carries herself as a florist too. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can start a company. You can be face first, you know, or you can, you know, be doing a lot of videos and things like that. But I love when she does come on camera and, you know, it's in more of a serious tone. You only see it once every like seven months. Um, you know, you can tell that she's really focused on other things. Um, and when she does come on camera, just her demeanor, just she's kind of that all around entrepreneur. Uh, so I would recommend definitely looking her up. She has a great, great personality. Ruby Lennox. Cool. Yeah. I love it. And I think following her now. So much, of what, <laughs> so much of what you're saying too, it just keeps coming back to authenticity. And I think yeah, that's pretty pretty much. such a good message to hit home with this episode is that nice. you need to have confidence in what you're doing. You need to like do what feels right to you. And that always comes through. And I think that's probably one of the reasons you stuck out to us as well. So um, yeah, it's super inspiring and it's such a good reminder. I think even when you're talking about how you forge partnerships, like you really try to come across authentically. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to do too. When we do outreach, mm-hmm. like we really want to make sure we're researching the business and mm-hmm. we're not just sending a templated email, especially mm-hmm. because it's a podcast for us and we're trying to get this brand off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think we definitely resonate with that. Um, yeah. One last question and then we'll get close to wrapping up, but um We'd love to hear about a challenge you faced throughout the process of starting two peonies. So maybe it was a time you just wanted to pack it in or mm-hmm. you had to make a decision or something got you stuck. Um, yeah, we'd like to paint the full picture of entrepreneurship and that, you know, it's not easy. So yeah, we'd love yeah. to hear something like that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's uh, there's like daily challenges, especially now. Um, you know, every day I have a, I do have a moment of like, you know, mini like, ah, like panic, like just because everything is so, <laughs> it's so, it's yeah. so up in the air life right now. Um, <laughs> so it's really interesting to put forward these, you know, initiatives, um, knowing that. So I would say just, just time management is huge now because my time is so divided into just staying afloat. Uh, in 2020, um, that, uh, that it's really hard to, um, give that 100% that the company will need. So it's an ongoing battle time management. Um, and I think that ties into, again, a huge challenge in times where I've really, you know, felt my back has been against the wall is the fact that I did decide to, you know, start a company with little to no funding. It's super possible. I would never discourage it but just know what you're signing up for. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so it's definitely, it's super possible, but there's moments when, you know, I'll look to my left and to my right and see different entrepreneurs who, you know, are my age, who have started and just to see their development, it's very easy to compare to people that aren't in your situation um, and have launched in different ways. Um, so it's been a real challenge um, staying scrappy and staying crafty. Um, yeah. But I think with those constraints, and this is kind of one of my mottos, I think I got it from one of my professors, um, that there's like beauty and constraints, right? Like you'll see all these things against you that are holding you back, but it just means that you have to mm-hmm. get more creative um, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of wow. think things through a bit more, which means that your product might come out, you know, with a bit more substance because you've had to put more into it. Um, you kind of approach things differently when you can approach it, you know, with a lot of funding and all that, which is always great. And I can't wait to get there, of course, but there's something to be said for, um, for being scrappy for sure. Absolutely. Wow. If that's not a lesson, I don't know what is. <laughs> I hope so. I, at least. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and like I honestly, I have so many questions about being bootstrapped and like the constraints there. But maybe we'll save that for the next conversation. Podcast definitely down. Podcast by popular demand. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But this has been so amazing, Julia. Thank you so much for being here. I feel like we got so much out of this conversation, and you're building an amazing business, and you're just an awesome entrepreneur and really Mm -hmm. inspirational. Hey, thank you guys. I'm so happy you reached out and I'm happy we now know each other. Um, And best of luck with your podcast. It's a great concept. I will definitely be an avid listener. So thank you. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. That was a ton of fun. Yeah. How great is Julia? Oh, she's a killer. And we definitely need to get some two peonies in our place. We need that affordable self-care in our lives. (laughs) Yeah. Affordable and self-care are two favorite things. (laughs) If you guys haven't done it yet while you were listening to the episode, make sure to go check out Two Peonies Instagram page. It is absolute aesthetic goals. Like her products are stunning. Yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. And if you haven't yet, and if you enjoyed this episode, we would love if you could rate and review us here. Um, And we also have a lot of content on RIG as well at They Get It. So feel free to check us out there. And we'll see you next week. Bye.